Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to another supplementary episode of Willy Willy Harry Stee, another sidebar outing. And I'm delighted to be joined by someone who I first worked with at the beginning of the millennium on a great little comedy show called Fun at the Funeral Parlour, which you probably never heard of. Yes, it's the comedian and writer David Mitchell. Now, we both played hermits on that show uh, alongside David's usual comedy partner, Robert Webb. And the highlight of filming, I think, was the fight we had with Brian Blessed in a cave. (laughs) But recently, like me, David has branched out from comedy and embraced history. He's just published a brilliant book called Unruly, a history of England's kings and queens. And I thought, hello, there's a rival out there. I know what I'll do. I'll go by the medieval king's playbook. I'll invite him into my castle and I'll kill him. Now, David, history is not a complete departure for you, is it? I mean, you did actually study history at Oxford. And I mean, did you specialise? I don't know exactly how it works at university, but you have to say, I'm doing this bit of history. I dotted around doing, I did a bit of English medieval, a bit of 18th century European. and So I did a little snapshot seemed to be the system. Whereas what I would have liked to have done is a, an overview of the history of everywhere, always. <laughs> Just from, you know, that, that's what I basically wanted to know. Well, but that, I, I think that's what most people want to know yeah. and don't get taught. Yes. Well, we're, we're told that it's important to really understand a particular period. That's the focus, to really get to grips with that. Uh, but actually, if you only understand one 
period, then you don't understand anything because you don't know where it came from. It's just yes, like... Yes, I say exactly the same thing in my opening episode, is that my kids at school, they learnt a bit about the Tudors, inevitably, mm-hmm. yes. the American Civil Rights Movement, the Egyptians... Uh, but they didn't have any idea in what order those things actually <laughs> happened. I remember I had a friend at university who was reading history and famously asked, who came first, Jesus or the Vikings? It's a good pub quiz question. They seem so different, don't they, Jesus <laughs> and the Vikings? You know, they, they didn't come to the same places. But, all, you know, also we are closer in time to Cleopatra than she was to the building of the pyramids. So, yeah, see all a, these wonderful, yeah. interesting things we don't no, exactly. Get that's why why you need an overview. That's, that's why you yeah. need an overview, and that's what I'm trying to do on this series yeah. is an overview of English history through the lens of looking at at the different kings. Because well, that's exactly what I've done in my book. Yes. So we, we've, Which is we've why each I was done really it. Really pissed off. Well, yeah. <laughs> at least we haven't done it in the same medium. <laughs> I was alerted to it because yeah. a friend sent me a WhatsApp message saying. This bastard's completely ripped you off. And, and then she put in brackets, I only use the word bastard for dramatic effect. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I started doing the podcast in May. This book's coming out in September. I think you'll find David started it before I started the podcast. When did you actually start I, writing I, the book? Towards the end of the lockdown, having done nothing in the lockdown creatively, I... Uh, I started typing about the, about the Vikings, actually, who right. famously came after Jesus. Uh, <laughs> because I, it felt to me like the Vikings arriving in England was a bit like COVID. Uh, yes. In that it was just a horrible thing that there was no warning of and was suddenly happening. And the traumatised society that it hit sort of then desperately tries to take some ownership of it by, by taking the blame. And, 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 you know, with COVID, there's a lot of talk of all the things we should have done differently. And obviously we could have done things differently. We could have been more prepared for a pandemic. That guy could have not eaten a bat, whatever it was. But <laughs> broadly speaking, it was just something shitty that happened. And, you know, we didn't see it coming, but how could we? And we had to and, and, deal and, with it. Yeah, and there was a lot, of, a lot of controversy about the best way to deal with them. Yes. Yeah, Do we yeah. pay them off? Do we try and fight them? Yeah. Do we run and hide? And a lot of focus. They said that the reason this is happening, they thought, is God is cross yes. with us. We needed to pray more and be more holy. And I sort of think there's an arrogance to that as well. There's a kind of, they can't, it's like people can't believe that anything bad isn't their fault. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to we we would much rather take the blame for something than face the horrific idea that it's nothing to do with us at all and we're just victims in a massive cosmic game but there is a certain degree of comfort though in saying everything is really really awful but it must be for a reason and god's got a plan oh absolutely and, i mean yes. that is exactly the same as the contemporary conspiracy theories it's this idea that random things don't happen, terrible things don't happen. It's all organised by some big secret organisation, yes, yeah. which is essentially God. Yes, yes, yes. You can take comfort in the fact that even if it is bad, <laughs> it's it's not just yes, it's not just craziness. Now it's interesting that you said it was a COVID project because we had Tracy Borman on as a guest recently because she's written her own history of the monarchy, which was also a, a, a sort of COVID lockdown project. And she said if it hadn't been for COVID, she wouldn't have had the time to embark on writing it. But for you, David, having started in lockdown, writing about the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings, I mean, when did you get to the point where you thought, actually, 
I'm going to talk about the entirety of the history of the British monarchy. Basically, it, it got to 30,000 words quite quickly. On the Vikings. And not all on the Vikings. Started with the Vikings, sort of going forward and then filling in the bit of the Anglo-Saxons before the Vikings. You know, it didn't feel like I was, it didn't feel like work. It didn't feel difficult. It was just, it was, it was fun sort of trying to comically riff, but also explain what I felt had happened then. And it, it was just enjoyable. It was a change from And, and, and where else. were you doing your, your research? Where were you getting information from? Were you, well, were you I, deep into the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles? No, I, was, I, did, <laughs> I didn't go back to original sources. That's the great thing about taking an overview. Yes, So exactly. I, I started writing about things I knew about. Yeah. And then I started, uh, I had to read a few books to remind myself. And then, <laughs> and then as I sort of moved forwards, I was sort of reading ahead and... Um, and then going back and patching things. So I did it in an extremely slapdash, non-scholarly way. Did I, you read um, Mark Morris's book on the Anglo-Saxons? I did, and I thought that was great. Yeah. And the thing I found amazing in that, and one of the things that made me want to make quite a lot of the book about the Anglo-Saxons, is what he said about, uh, which is in I put in my book as well, about how the Anglo-Saxons wouldn't go and live in London. <laughs> that London, they didn't like it. It was, you know, the, all these big buildings. And it, London was unoccupied for a couple of hundred years because they turned up and then all these Roman buildings and these stones piled one on top of the other. They thought, this isn't right. And they went and lived in, you know, straw huts out in the windy fields. Um, not that they would have been fields. Yes, the idea that, it, that history is a slow progress of things gradually getting better is nonsense, really. Yes, and it was such a huge... And, a, you know, some historians don't like you saying it, but it was a huge <laughs> backward step. Everything, you know, the Roman Empire was kind of great and then it collapsed and things were awful <laughs> and the roads fell into disrepair and the economy collapsed and the population numbers plummeted and it was just grim and and i find that fascinating and really grisly in an attractive way i don't understand why historians of the period want to focus on the you know how wonderful the anglo-saxon jewelry was oh they yeah. did some marvelous brooches yes exactly they were so great on brooches. i mean yeah they let every aqueduct collapse but <laughs> it was interesting also the idea that actually in the south of england everybody was very happy to have the romans there life got a lot better Everybody was getting wealthy. There was international trade, yeah, very much like today with what goes on in London. Whereas people up north were saying, "Well, I hate this. We need to get rid of these people." <laughs> yes, <laughs> if only they'd done it via referendum, that, yes. that would have yeah, been so much more peaceful. The other thing I was fascinated by is that the, fact the Romans had a rule where you you weren't allowed to bear arms. They, they thought if you're going to have a civilization, everyone being tooled up all the time isn't going mm. to be conducive. And so that was one of the reasons the, the uh, Romano-British were sitting ducks, because they, they weren't from a, a martial culture. And the Anglo-Saxons turned up and they were pretty handy with a sword. Um, they should have been more like the Americans and all carried guns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a few hundred years just weakened us, the Romans. <laughs> with their bathhouses and they're not allowing us to stab each other. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting looking at your book. That, you know, about the first third of it is the, the sort of the pre-Norman conquest. Yeah. Whereas I, with my series, because it's... Ba Did you ever learn the Willy Willy Harry Steve Rymer? I wasn't... I, I've heard of it. I don't right. think anybody well, told me Well, you're that much younger school. than me, so I think teaching of history had changed. I probably came in the right and the sort of the tail end of history being kings, queens 
uh, important men. There didn't seem to be a feeling when I was at school that they wanted me to know how it all joined up. Yes. And I think they sort of told me a bit of that, but that wasn't the priority. You don't need to know how it joined up. You just no. need to know these Well, in one level, you could say you, yeah, you could never teach anybody that because it's the history of the universe. But yeah, they, I think they could teach people a bit more. <laughs> yeah. And there is a huge yeah. interest in history. Yeah. People are obsessed by it. And so many people have said to me about this podcast, oh, this is great because I'm learning all the stuff I didn't learn at school and I thought somehow I'd missed a lesson. Um, you know, and you hear these names and, and know anything about them or how they fitted together. Uh, but so, yeah, so mine is very much, it's Willy Willy Harry Steve. So mine starts at William the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. I was quite glad because I did read Mark Morris's book on, on the Anglo-Saxons before starting. And it's enormously complicated. Yeah. And there's lots of Ethels and Athels. There's a huge amount of very phlegmy, yeah. the, uh, the Anglo-Saxon <laughs> rulers. We've, I think broadly we've picked the right names to move forward with, you know, Edmund... Alfred, Edward—that's a lot the, more. It's say. about the only three, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and all the, all the, yeah, Ethelred, Athelstan, Athelflaed. Yeah. Much as I, I'm Elf-gifu, sure, Jake, I'm sure Jacob Rees-Mogg would like us to start reintroducing some of these names. <laughs> well, would they not smack of sort of West Country hippieishness? Well, I don't know because apparently in the Victorian age there was a big revival of interest in the whole Anglo-Saxon era, and and people did start to give their some of the aristocratic children, some of the the old Anglo-Saxon names. Right. And it, it didn't really catch on. Because that was it was a big surprise when Henry III called his son Edward. Well, I yeah, think they I mean, thought it, that seemed a bit sort of ethnic at the time. For... Well, it was a real switch back from the Normans saying everything has to be French culture yeah. to actually starting to embrace a bit of old English culture. Yeah, but it doesn't sound different. Now, Henry and Edward doesn't sound like that's from different cultures, but obviously no, it totally exactly. did. But the Henrys probably were Henri. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Stephen, we call about King Stephen. He was Etienne, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> and I mean, the thing that I've been intrigued by is how we almost ended up with a King Alfonso. How, when did we get a King Alfonso? <sighs> he was the son of one of the Edwards. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it must have been King Edward the first because. He had married Eleanor of Castile, and so they gave their eldest son a Spanish name, Alfonso. But he died, and Edward II came to the throne. Edward and the Canaver. interesting thing is, you know, you say we can't tell the difference between Henry and Edward. If we'd had an Alfonso, it would have been it would have become a very popular English name, and we wouldn't think of it as a Spanish name at all. Yeah, it's these 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 wrinkles in history. Mm. So you've written 30,000 words on the Vikings, well, the, 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 the Anglo-Saxon period. Mm-hmm. And at that point, did you think, let's go to see if a publisher might want this as a full book, or did you just ask yourself that? I, that at that point, I, I thought, well, I've enjoyed writing this, but I've, I've written too much <laughs> for it to be wasted. Other people are going to be forced to encounter these <laughs> words by hook or by crook. And so then uh, I sort out uh, a publisher and uh, I think you know obviously I think in general when uh, someone who's got any tv profile approaches a publisher they turn up with a you know a 
the shopping list and the drawing they've done. So the fact that it was yeah. 30,000 words, they sort of went, oh, right. No, actually, that means you only have to do the same again twice, and that will be a book. So it, this is a, a safer bet than... Uh, and were you hoping for a, another peak in the pandemic so that you'd have more spare time <laughs> to work on it? No, well, I think I, in in the, uh, in the hope slash expectation that we were through the pandemic, I thought what I need now is a deadline. Right. And uh, then that, that was provided. But, I mean, you know, the, the thing is, this is not a typical sort of throwaway jokey book that a comedian write, you know, about history with lots of lists and pictures. This is a this is a big, serious... Well, it's very funny as well, but it's a serious tome. It's over 400 pages. And you only get up to Elizabeth first. It's well, not a throwaway thing. It well, is, I mean, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but I enjoyed it. And a key thing is I read this book, Germania or Germania, I don't know how to pronounce it, by Simon Winder. Right. And that's a great, really funny, quirky historical overview of Germany and the Holy Roman Empire and that sort of thing. And I really enjoyed it, uh, as I've enjoyed many history books. But I also, I loved the tone. I loved the sort of mixture of the, the irreverence, the anecdotes, the silliness, but also basically telling the, the story, not just picking out the yeah. jokey side of yes. it. And I basically wanted to try and, and do something in that kind of tone where you, you could be jokey, but what the aim of it is, is to fill people in on what basically went on. But finding the funny side and, and I find the ridiculousness of the past <laughs> quite a good way of remembering it. The details of the Wars of the Roses don't stick because it's a battle here and a battle there. But the overall situation, the absurdity of swapping kings and uh, and of how the notion of primogeniture and the notion of there's only one real king totally breaks down and they don't know what to do. There's a funny side to that. There's a funny side to how much of a... People talk about King John as a evil, capricious king, and he was, but he was also such a loser. <laughs> Everything went wrong for him, you know, and just and you know, he's a lot of very brutal kings, but his brutality was to no effect. He lost <laughs> and he lost and he lost. And there's a bit that's just so funny where he's lost Normandy, you know, in 25 minutes, it seems, <laughs> after Richard the Lionheart beats Philip Augustus hollow in every battle. You know, he just he comes back from being kidnapped and he just wins and gets it all back. Reset whole Angevin Empire. Thank you very much. John loses it in no time. And then he's in England cross because it's not these guys are French. They like France better than England. England's their sort of slightly cold holiday home. They want to be in Aquitaine and Normandy and and meeting the big European princes, not hanging around, you know, drizzly East Anglia. And so he's trying to get it all back and he organized, spends a fortune organizing this expedition and meets all the noblemen because they've got to come with him on the south coast. And he said, right, off we go. He's got a big plan. There's one force going to the light uh, down to Aquitaine and he's going to go via Normandy. Pincer movement. It's going to be brilliant. And he says, OK, off we go. And they go, no, <laughs> you, your majesty, we're not coming. <laughs> because we think you're going to screw it up. And, you know, we think it's best you stay here. And he's got nothing. He's nothing he can do. He gets into a ship and sails up and down for a bit, hoping they'll sort of follow him. And then he just has to come back because they've just decided they follow Henry II. They follow Richard the Lionheart. But they said, this guy is not going to end well. 
And they're right. And 10 years later, it's you know, Magna Carta. And two years after that, he dies of dysentery. It's just its haplessness mm. is, you know, I mean, it wouldn't have been funny at the time, but, you know, <laughs> tragedy plus time. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, pretty much all of, all of the monarchs, so if, if they lived long enough, it all fell apart. Y- yeah. But, you know, the, those who were, who were sort of at the time remembered as great sort of hero kings tended to be the ones who won a couple of battles and then died before they could... Uh... Yes, yeah, so the, the, the key to being a great king is catch dysentery earlier. Yes. That's what Henry V did. He, exactly. He got dysentery s- soon after his greatest triumph and allows his poor infant son to yeah. mess it all Here up. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So to get back to the book, uh, it stops with Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for that? Well, when I, having started typing randomly from the Vikings mm. outwards, I thought, well, this book has to have a sort of coherence or an overall thing it's about. Yes. And I th- thought, well, the thing it could be about is the kings and queens of England. And Of and, course. And it after... very much, that is the subtitle, A History of England's Kings and Queens... And I looked at that and I didn't take on board, obviously, because James was Scottish. After 1603, you've got James coming in and he's King of England and Scotland. Now, there's still a Kingdom of England. They're still separate states. But broadly, we're heading towards Britain. Yes. And I thought... and I didn't, United Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to try and say I was doing Britain for this period because Scotland's got its own kings and queens. And I'd have to get into a lot more detail about that than I was comfortable doing it or that would fit into one volume. So I thought, but if I say it's England, there's a reason for stopping at 1603 and there's a reason for starting with the Anglo-Saxons because it's not England before they arrive because it's called England basically after them. So that I thought, and then that's, it's an overview. It's not in depth, but it's not trying to do, you know, it's it's only doing a thousand years (laughs) Not uh, a thousand and a half. Yes, you thought about it and you thought it through. Because I keep coming unstuck on this. I don't know whether to describe the podcast as the history of the English monarchy or the history of the British monarchy, because I, I don't deal with anyone who wasn't officially on the English throne. But as you say, after Elizabeth, they are also kings of England and Scotland. But I can't say British monarchs because I don't have the time and the space to do the other kings of Scotland or Wales or Ireland or any of them. So I just say it's a history of the monarchy 
And luckily, no one's picked me up on it because most people don't care about these things as much as you do. Well, it's just, I just thought I'd get my story straight because sometimes people on the internet can become irritated about something. Really? I hadn't noticed that. I've, I've had nothing but marvelous interactions. <laughs> it's with, it's with usually, the it's enormously positive most of the time. Yeah. Occasionally, you get a slight note of criticism <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> There, there is the great pub quiz question of which name has been used most for an English monarch. Mm. And everybody goes, oh, Henry. There are eight of them. Mm. And as you point out, often in the book, there were a lot of Edwards before yeah. Edward I. There were three other Edwards. three, weren't yeah. and, and But the numbering doesn't start to William the Conqueror. But obviously that's, but that wasn't a decision made by William the Conqueror. It was made subsequently because... His whole claim was that he there was nothing new about him at all. Mm. No new monarchy coming in. He was the rightful uh, heir to the throne as designated by Edward the Confessor. That's his whole thing. His reign starts, he says, on the day when Edward the Confessor was both alive and dead. Uh, so, he, so Harold didn't happen. He was a usurper. He wasn't king. William was king from that day onwards. So... William himself is claiming continuity from the Anglo-Saxon royal house. Obviously, what he actually did was entirely remove the Anglo-Saxon nobility and replace it with yes. the Norman nobility who then spoke French for 200 years. So I imagine it felt very much that there had been a change of management as all these French people started putting up castles. But uh, that's not the official position. So, so when we get to Edward I... Was there some kind of discussion about whether he was going to be called Edward I? I think at the time he was just called King Edward. I think the numbering right. was, is done afterwards for to, you know so, so people could keep track of things in a sort of uh, pre-literate world. And I, th I think what happened was, you know, Edward, OK, we, it's King Edward. Fine, we haven't had a King Edward time out of mind, so he's just King Edward. And then his son was also called Edward, and so that's why they say, oh, he's the second Edward. And then his son, oh, he's the third Edward. And no one bothered at that point to go, no, hang on, though, there were all these Edwards a long time earlier. And I think that's how the that numbering uh, became right. ingrained. But, of course, Edward was called Edward in honour of Edward the Confessor, even though his subsequent numbering... Yes seems to be a claim that Edward the Confessor never reigned. Because yeah. Henry III was a huge Edward the Confessor fan, which is one of the many lamentable things about Henry III, because Henry III was a terrible king and Edward the Confessor is an absolute dick. <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to say dick <laughs> on this. I don't know whether we're well, on I the pre- or post-watershed section know, if, of the if, internet. If, if, they, if, if they were a dick, then how else would you describe them? <laughs> so you're not a fan of Edward the Confessor? No, I tell you, he's a terrible virtue signaller. All the talking about all this praying and everything. And he was he was incredibly lucky to end up king. His poor brother got blinded by uh, Harold um Harefoot. Right. Um so he, he was he just essentially got the throne handed to him on a plate, largely thanks to the efforts of his mother, Emma of Normandy. Um and I've just never liked him. But then that's because I like um Harold uh, Godwinson. Yeah, so you don't yeah. think that Harold was just a bullying usurper no i think he was he was a bullying usurper but he was more than that and but he didn't get much of a chance to prove that, that he was any good at anything i mean he was wasn't on the throne for more than about six months was he he was near well i mean he he got himself crowned in january 
uh, the I think the day after Edward the Confessor's funeral, right. and then it was uh, Christmas Day when William the Conqueror was crowned. But but he effectively lost the yeah. Battle of Hastings in the so, autumn. Well, so, so what on earth did Harold do that you think was so great? Well, I, well, I think he. He, well, the fact that he puts himself in a position to get the throne, that was clever. He's got no right. right to the throne, and yet he is pretty much within England, the unquestioned king. Um, then he, I think he put up, he, his organisation of the defence of the South Coast was pretty good. He was unlucky. William didn't come when he was expected. If he had come when he was expected, he would have been met by a much larger force. But yeah. the weather wasn't with him, and that turned out to be a great piece of good fortune. But then, so Harold has to disband the army that has been waiting on the south coast. Then Harold, Harold Hardrada f- comes over from Norway and invades with Tostig. This is a nightmare for Harold, but he goes all the way up the country. He defeats Harold Hardrada in battle. Harold Hardrada is, like the, in terms of the rankings of, uh, of kingly warriors, he was at number one. He, didn't, he mm. never lost and he was defeated. Then Williams turned up on the south coast. Harold gets there and he gets a matching force onto a hill blocking Williams' path when he'd previously disbanded his army. He's done everything right. And then he says to his army, just stay on the hill. Whatever you do, don't run down the hill. Let them come to you. Don't let them pass. And they don't listen. And that's why he loses. So I feel sorry for him. So you subscribe to the view that a great king is is the one who's the the greatest warrior. I th- I think I mean. <laughs> so does that mean you're also going for Richard the First, Henry the Fifth, Edward the First, Edward the Third? Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying Harold's <laughs> the greatest king we ever had, but in opposition to William the Conqueror, firstly I back him, you know, because he you know he he he's defending the country I was born in, so I sort of feel he I'm on his team. Uh, but but secondly, it's not like you know William the Conqueror set up an NHS. They're, they're all they're all basically brutal warriors. Yes. So you know. Yes. So David, at the time of recording this, I've just come back from doing a talk at a history festival. I also did a talk at a history festival in the summer. There's a lot of history festivals around, and there's a lot of history books being written, and. There is a lot of history podcasts. There seems to be a huge, huge interest in in history at the moment. And, you know, from talking to you, you are obviously someone who has always been interested in it and has been reading over the years and educating yourself and filling in those gaps that you didn't get at school and at university. Um, and I, I happened to watch, there was a, a, a trailer on Netflix for a stand-up show by a guy I'd never heard of called Shane Gillis. And he comes out with a line, he's an American, but I won't do the accent. (laughs) He says, I'm a bit of a history buff. By the way, that is early onset republicanism. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was a very good line. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, you sort of say you're doing history or, you you know, you go into a history festival or I'm doing a podcast about the history of the monarchy. There is an assumption that this is going to be some big conservative uh, flag-waving thing. But... I think that there is a growing interest in history from a lot of people who want to kind of, who aren't stuffy old conservatives Mm. um, who are obsessed with history like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris Johnson. But there are people who don't want the conservatives to own history. Yeah, I quite agree. I think that's the thing. History 
shouldn't be surrendered to the forces of reaction. Yes. The, the past isn't more right wing. <laughs> and, and in fact, that, and this is a, the notion of the past being more right wing is something that the right and the left collude in because the left yeah. have this, uh, they go along with this uh, notion of history being a progress, yes. a progress towards the liberal left. And so they'd go along with the past being right wing. It wasn't. The past was pr- progressive and reactionary and backward and forward and and all of the forces that we feel now existed in all previous yeah. times in different forms. And and yes, absolutely. It's it, giving up history to heritage and that sense yes. of things should return to how they were is is you know, it's not something we should accept. The, yes, you know. and I think it's important to get a grasp on, on history, you know, in order to argue with these people. And not just the conservatives, the, the radicals too. I mean, I came to this podcast because I wanted to learn more about our monarchs so that they were more than just the names in a funny rhyme. And a few people have said to me, why would I want to listen to a podcast about the British monarchy? I hate the monarchy. The royal family should be abolished. And I have to say to them, well, well, that's exactly why you should listen to this podcast, because I'm not coming to this as either a Republican or a royalist. It's, um, in, it's interesting because when you last used the word Republican, you meant it almost in the sense royalist. In yes. the, Republican is the American <laughs> word for, yes. the, you know. But yes, Republican in the, in the sense of in the, in monarchy the, in, abolitionist. Yes. Yeah. Now, as I say, I'm trying to remain fairly neutral on whether I think the monarchy is a good or a bad thing. But I think that perhaps your book is a little bit more polemical. I'm not sure you approve of the monarchy. Or, or, or is it more that you don't approve of, of this idea that through this weird bit of anointing with oil and, as you put it, wearing a funny gold hat, somehow an ordinary person becomes a divinely appointed ruler with a right to tell us all what to do? Yes, I think I think in terms of the modern monarchy, I'm not a Republican in that sense. I don't mind the constitutional monarchy. I find it quite picturesque, <laughs> and I and I like it in the same way as I like going round a, a medieval castle and then spending time in the tea room. So I have no <laughs> objection to it. Um, but uh, the system of government that it is a uh, relic of is absurd, and that is the medieval notion that that someone because of uh, whose child they are and because of some ceremony that's essentially been cooked up uh, from a a biblical reference and then the practices of the later Byzantine emperors uh, actually confers on you some power to pass on God's (laughs) instructions to humanity in an effective and just way. That is daft. I don't necessarily blame people in the Middle Ages for not having a better system. How could they possibly have come up with one? It's, you know, the circumstances from which the English monarchy arises are, are chaotic and and people were just clinging to some form of order and, you know, absence of armed gangs <laughs> setting fire to everything. So it, it grew up randomly, but it's it doesn't bear any analysis. But I guess the big question is, What's the alternative? I mean, we have got rid of various kings in the past and tried to set up, uh, you know, ruling councils of the nobility or, in Oliver Cromwell's case, of the ordinary people. And it hasn't always gone well. Yes, I think think the thing is it's not a perfect system, but it's a workable fudge. And the whole period covered by my my book, the 
stability takes a massive blow when for the first time in ages they get rid of a king. And from the moment Richard II is uh, usurped, and he's undoubtedly the uh, legitimate king, the eldest son of the eldest son of Edward III, nobody questions that. So the only reason they're getting rid of him, despite him being anointed and all that, is because they think he's shit. <laughs> then they they create doubt in the institution of kingship that never goes away. And the Wars of the Roses, even though that only happens three kings later, it, it's definitely its roots are in that decision to get rid of Richard II. Mm. And you could certainly, in talking about alternative history, if they'd stuck with Richard II for the 15 more years that he may have lived, they, they, which would have been grim, they may have had a much more peaceful 15th century for their troubles. Yeah, and those episodes of my podcast would have been a lot simpler yeah. <laughs> to get my head around. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, because if you look at history, the, it may not have been that civil war, but they'd have had some <laughs> stupid war of some sort. It, well, as you say, they do know, they must always have known in their hearts, you can always get rid of a king. But you sort of feel that for a lot of the time, they're willfully suppressing that thought because it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. And the whole, you know, the whole Magna Carta thing, the uh, growth of Parliament under Henry III, it's all a desperate attempt to have an alternative to an unsatisfactory king that isn't getting rid of the unsatisfactory king and all of the chaos that that mm. uh, would cause. And you're saying, no, let's just have a king, but give him some guidelines. And, you know, <laughs> let's, let's try and work with him and keep the king a bit more sensible. And that, you know, and that happened, that builds quite nicely for a while from Magna Carta through uh, Henry III and the three Edwards. Uh, but then with Richard II, they just lose their rag and Richard II starts packing parliaments with his supporters and suddenly the system for reigning in the undoubtedly legitimate but substandard king is breaking <laughs> down and they have to go, all right, just kill him. <laughs> well, David, it's been fantastic fun talking to you about all this and good luck with your book, which I can't recommend enough. It is funny, it is interesting, and it is a proper work of history. So, well done, David. You did thank, very well. Thank you very much. So, so I was relieved you, you paused between can't recommend and enough. So it was a nervous time for me. But it, what a difference a word makes. No, I'm sure it's going to do really well. And just to remind my listeners, it's called Unruly. The History of England's Kings and Queens by David Mitchell. And at the time of this recording, you're touring to promote it, aren't you? Yes, I'm going all over the place. Newcastle, then London, then Bath. It was organised by someone who didn't have a map, basically. <laughs> um, then Scotland, I think. So My next podcast series is going to be on geography. Because <laughs> that's the other thing, people don't know where things are. No, they just want to know the names of rivers. That's what they want. <laughs> but, I mean, once you've done that tour, do you think you're done with the monarchy? Might you write more about it, or have you got it out of your system? I really enjoyed writing this book, and I would certainly like to try and write, at some point, another historical overview. I don't know if it would focus on kings and queens so much because one of the reasons for stopping Elizabeth the first part from the England Britain thing is that soon-ish afterwards the kings and queens stop being quite so central to the political situation yeah the, the the politicians and the prime ministers become 
much more prominent and the monarchs are just encouraged to do as little as possible exactly when you first you've got to george the first and george the second they're you know i mean they're but more my in- podcast episodes and them are going to be fascinating I'm, absolutely <laughs> so i don't want my listeners to stop listening at oh, well david mitchell said it got a bit boring after this. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe you could do a separate podcast on the prime ministers for whom there is no rhyme oh i know what is it i don't i don't even know what the first there's walpole and then is it, there must is be a lot Pelham? of Pelham. Is he second, or is there someone in between Walpole and Pelham? So Walpole, Pelham, Walpole and Pelham. One, two, three. <laughs> no, that's a film. Uh, okay, right. I've just been looking them up while we've been talking. I've got a list of them here. Uh, Walpole, Compton, Pelham twice, Cavan Dish, then Pelham thrice, Stuart Grenville, Charles Watson Wentworth, then Pitt the Elder went first. Uh, Fitzroy and North, then Charles Watson, Wentworth. Again, I'm not sure it's going to catch on, David. (laughs) Thank you again, David. You've been a brilliant guest. Thank you. That was really good fun. So if you've enjoyed this episode of my podcast, please like and subscribe and make sure you listen to the next episode, which is all about King Henry VIII. Willy Willy Harry Stee was written and presented by me, Charlie Hickson, with music by Tom Jenkins and production by Mark Jeeves. Willy Willy Harry Stee, the podcast, is the copyright of Charlie Hickson, 2023. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.